Welcome, Fruitball fans, to another fan-picked episode. The movie you have chosen for us to review is Titan AE. As always, there will be heavy spoilers, so please watch this film first if you don't want it spoiled. Now that the spoiler warning is done, grab a snack, pour a drink, and get comfy for today's episode of Fruitball Weekly. I'm Ramra, joined again by Kitchen. Hello! And onto a quick synopsis before the main review. Titan AE stars Matt Damon as Kale Tucker, a salvager out in space just trying to make his way through life. Due to Earth exploding and his dad taking another ship when he was a kid, Kale refuses the call to adventure due to only wanting to look out for himself. However, Kale is eventually convinced by Captain Corso, Bill Pullman, to help find the legendary ship, the Titan, in hopes of remaking Earth and saving humanity. So, Titan AE, it's definitely much more different than I remember as a kid, because I remember watching this as a kid and it being, oh, what a fun, bombastic space adventure! You know, there's the there's the goggles on me face. Oh wow! I don't know what animation is. <laughs> now I rewatched Titan A, and I'm like, oh, every character's just a big flowy boy. If you could describe this film with a single word, what would that word be? Mess. 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 <laughs> See, I would have either said ambitious or jank. <laughs> Ah, yes, you know what? Both very good descriptive words to use for this film, for sure. They definitely wanted to do more with the idea than they could do. Yes. And the whole idea to turn the film from live action to animation to 3D, 2D hybrid animation is very ambitious for the time, and very few studios are actually doing it. Just that transition between all three of those. It's like, we just don't really know what we want to do. Exactly. going to work. It feels to me like they definitely had an idea, but it was falling over at every single hurdle. Yeah, because, I mean, the actual story itself, I think, is actually pretty good. Like, yeah. the idea of the planet has just actually exploded. Like, humans have left, so not every human's dead or whatever, but... The idea of just that happening and the whole point is to actually remake a new planet, remake Earth again, mm. is a relatively unique concept. I like that. I just don't think they found a way to do it in live action, which is why after trial and error, they just thought animating it'll be much easier. We'll just throw it to an animation studio. And then yeah. Fox swept it up and then it ended their whole career. And there was the whole debacle about firing the writers after yes. already spending like 30 million in the pre-production phases. So they ended up spending up to 90 million overall, which yeah. was the cost of Toy Story 2, which came out a year before and was far superior. And in that film, you can actually see what they spent the money on. Yeah. In this film, I don't really know where <laughs> it's gone. They definitely didn't have to put out too much money for the music. Not to say the music's bad, but we know for a fact that they got turned down by some of the largest names at the time. Yeah, baby. Do you like songs that describe the current action <laughs> in this current point in the film? I know I sure do. Because the first 
bloody song comes on when he's out in space being a salvager, and it may as well just be, my name's Kale, and I'm moving space debris. It's me <laughs> job and my life is shit. I'm yeah. an I hate you, Dad. <laughs> God damn it, why did you leave me? Now I'm in space with <laughs> Alien. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, I actually liked the opening song quite a bit. Oh, okay, yeah. I didn't enjoy the animation that went along with it. No. I feel like they threw a song on an intro and thought, wow, this would be a really cool song for an intro. Animated the intro based on the song and completely balls it up. Because besides the little chain blade bit at the beginning when he's chopping the ship up, which is pretty neat and does go with the music. Yeah. It just devolves into real jank floaty animation that doesn't make sense and cuts back and forth without truly showing us anything yeah all it shows is human gets bonked on head human fires chain laser somehow yeah wow what a what a thrilling scene to set in this brown mucky dirt rock that's exactly right and it's one of those where the story itself obviously at the beginning sets up the earth explosion dad leaving well not just earth explosion they mention the titan and then big dredge mothership does the laser blow up that is true and once it gets past that intro bit which is actually fine it's okay the animation is definitely on rails for that fast paced segment where he's going woohoo wow i'm having so much fun yeah (laughs) yes it doesn't feel too much attention has been placed on the movement of objects in space i mean physics is just thrown to the wind in this film but you can tell they've They've sort of tween-framed the models, and the models just slide around in space rather than move in a natural manner. And it's one of those as well, like, once it actually starts to introduce Kale and this sort of salvage port that he's in, like you said with the whole sliding thing, it's like with the actual chain laser thing as well. Like, when he's using it to actually cut the ship, it doesn't look that bad at all. It actually no. looks pretty damn cool. Yeah. But then when he shoots it as a little energy bolt and this little poor graphic <laughs> is floating in the sky, it looks really gross. Yeah, and they don't really show the audience that a projectile is being fired. The chain laser grows in size and shrinks. <laughs> And then it cuts to a yellow beam being fired from nowhere. Yeah. It just sort of happens. And then it's like, oh, okay. And I know he's going for a lunch break right now, but he just leaves the equipment floating in free space. Like he is the shittiest employee ever. Yeah. And once we sort of get past this scene, we end up sort of meeting his blind caretaker. And I guess I could describe tech as a human sympathizer. Because it does seem like the rest of space doesn't like humans. No, like this intro bit of him just ordering food. Honestly, aliens are racist to humans. (laughs) And yet they all speak space English, and they throw in terms from other Earth languages. Yeah. But this intro scene, it is literally 20 minutes of Kale meets Corso, who is just, he is just a villain-looking fella. Like, he really is. Like, the minute you see him, you're like, he's either a betrayer or he's just an evil guy. And when you see his alien friend, Timon. Yes. He's got a missing (laughs) ear and a brain plate. He carries himself in a very uh, self-important way. And you can tell that these guys don't seem like good guys. And their design was intentional. 
I will say, though, that Pred, the alien guy, self-important one, those two are probably the best voice actors that carry the film. Oh, definitely. Well, let's not forget that Pred is Nathan Lane. Yes, <laughs> yes. He's got, he's got some voice acting prowess under his belt. This intro scene, apart from like a terrible chase scene from the dredge that happens, which is the name, of course, of the alien attackers or whatever, we also get introduced to the love interest, which is also Akima, or Akima, I think they say Akima, who is voiced by Drew Barrymore. And I'm not going to lie, she's not doing a very good job. No, we haven't really mentioned Matt Damon's voice as older Kale either. No, that's true. Similarly to Akima. Is very quiet and wispy for the yeah. majority of the film. It does pick up as the film progresses, but there's always an oddness about the voice and how it fits the character. Yeah, like both of them definitely feel like they haven't done voice acting roles before. Yes. Because there's a lot of lines in which it is literally just, oh, so you want me to talk into a microphone. Okay, so I'll just talk these lines and then, all right, that's a take. That's done, ladies and gentlemen. We can go home. It's like they had to voice act in their bedroom, but they knew their parents were home. Yes, that's exactly... <laughs> you know what, that's a great way to describe it, if I'm honest. Now, I will say, though, that the wispiness isn't actually just contained to Kale and Akima. Like, to no, be honest, no. for some reason, the entire film just has this weird veil of wispiness over every character. And I don't understand why they've done that. Because even when characters are shouting, it feels like... Like you said, like, someone's in the room, so they can't scream, so they've got to do, like, the tone down, you know, like, ah, scream sort of thing. Yeah, it doesn't really happen in the action sequences. No. Well, to be honest, if it did, it would really make the action sequences worse than they already are. Yeah, but the film itself, I would say, is fairly slow-paced, and there's a lot of talking. Not to say yes. there's a lot of exposition. No. There's just a lot of talking. And because of that and the wispiness, it's really obvious. <laughs> yeah, that is true. And when we sort of get introduced to those characters, you then obviously have your array of side characters, because you need a quirky cast to keep your attention. And that is Pred, who we've mentioned before, voiced by Nathan Lane. We have, I believe it's Stith, by Janine Garofalo. And, oh, it's Big Daddy Goon, Daddy baby! Goon. Daddy Goon. Goon Squad for Life. Goon Squad for Life. Uh, voiced by John Leguizamo, I believe. And terrible, probably botched that. But either way, the side characters are actually fine. I don't think any of them are too annoying. I don't even think Goon's that annoying, even though I do believe you didn't like him at first. Yeah, I didn't like him at first. I thought he was uh, there as an expositional device and was inconsistent in the the manner he spoke. Yeah. Like the first time you see him, he's just like, oh, he, he, you fixed it, you fixed it, will you? And later on, he's like, I'm making progress, I found the map, we're here, yes, we're going here now. <laughs> yeah, we know, we can we can see that, thanks. Yeah. But later on, he comes into his own a bit. He does. Yeah, and he becomes the true hero that we all need. They have a bit of a fake-out death in which he should have totally died. But I'm glad he yeah. survived. Me too, to be honest. I mean, when, when they did the explosion at the end and he got hit by it, I was like, oh, is, is this going to be like the one good guy quote death, I guess? I knew it, I knew it, ah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, no, Goon, learn to throw! Learn to throw, my guy! What are you doing? <laughs> 
before we move on to just talking about the ending and stuff like that, I will say that the middle of the film is honestly my biggest issue with it. Like, the beginning of the film, I actually think, is a good setup. You know, you meet your characters fairly well, you know, like he even saves, like Corso saves Kale from some goons, which I think is fine. And, you know, Kale nonchalantly washing the window as Akima presses the close window button. I think that's a decent thing as well. Yeah, I like that. But the middle is just location to location to location in which we do little bits on each with a quick, no development, just this is what the plot needs, so we have to do it. Yeah. The thing is, in terms of sort of those scenes, is that I like the Bat Planet just because they at least go, you know, oh, there's hydrogen trees. If they explode or whatever, they're really going to go big boom boom. Yeah, it's one of the most creative locations in the film. Yeah. Then there's obviously the Dredge Mothership, which is disgusting. I hope you like blue. I hope you like various shades of blue that don't contrast very well with each (laughs) other at all. And the dredge themselves, I hope you like not being able to focus on the models because the texture is just weird. I think it's intentionally like that because they're energy beings. Yeah, it's like they wanted to go for a they're always changing shape kind of look. Yeah, but with a a consistent model. (laughs) Yes, with like, but they needed them to actually look like a humanoid species, which yeah. is a bit weird. It's like what they've done is they've taken a textured animation, and because of what the texture represents, it doesn't fit the model. It just makes it more confusing to look at. So, the actual locales of those first two areas, the dread ship is horrific, but the actual bird, people, planet, whatever... The actual story there isn't really much either. Really, this film is... Moving from location, and we get an action scene, and then a thing gets discovered. So on the Bat planet, he goes, and we didn't even mention it, to be honest, but he gets, like, a ring that was left behind from his dad before he, like, passed away, or he's missing, or whatever, and it's, like, a secret bio-engineered map that only responds to that bloodline. Or, you know, you could just chop off his hand or take his blood. Yes. <laughs> you there are other ways they could have gone about it. And he gets to this sort of bat planet and the bat people, without speaking, just through actions, through charades, are like, just stick your fucking hand up in the air, idiot. Just stick your hand up. Kale sticks his hand up in the air and it's like, oh, it might also be a compass, maybe? I'm not I'm not entirely sure. It just really shows yeah. like the arrow moving. So I'm like, is it a map and a compass? Is it just a map? Not really sure, if I'm honest. Yeah, but Goon knows. Yeah, but yeah, of course he does. You don't mess around with Daddy Goon and his big brain knowledge. No. And honestly, the dredge come and you know, I sighed when they reappeared. I'm like, oh I have to look at these creatures again. Great, that's fantastic. And the one issue I have with this scene is that all the people that are with the Bat People get carried by the Bat People. Yeah. Why didn't the Bat People just drop them off at their ship? I think that's what they were trying to do. 
Right, but okay. we were never shown the distance in which the main characters travelled. No. And they're trying to do that now while under gunfire and evading the dredge. Yeah, I suppose that is true. So we weren't really shown the full story. It's they arrive on planet, they meet bird people, they get under attack, they go back to ship. We were never shown the space between to understand what they had to go through or the amount of time required to get to the ship. Yeah, although... Kale and Akima do get caught by the dredge in this they area. Do. That's when we end up going to the dredge locale, and I, I just, I just can't with this area. Like this whole logic-based area energy being system they've got going on, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. They're made of pure energy, but they're also completely physical when they want to be. Exactly, and they can morph their bodies how they like. And they don't know how to design a prison cell to keep biologicals in. So, one of, one of the things that they do, which I'm like, okay, honestly, establishes that the dredge are actually pretty evil. I like it. Good, good scene. They just decide yeah. to jettison Akima out into space. I'm like, you know what? She's not... The dredge don't care about her. Who is Akima? Nobody knows. The dredge don't know. Who's that weird human with the long head? Who's that weird backhead conehead? <laughs> you know, this is one of the best voice acting moments for Kale in the entire film, because as Akima's going away, he does the quiet scream, you know, he's like, Akima! And he weirdly morphs into the ground as he falls into the energy cell. He seems to react as the dredge are speaking about their plan, almost as if he understood what was happening and understood their language. Yeah, that's but true. But we find out he doesn't. It's just the way in which the events transpire. It makes it seem as if he understood what was going on before they jettisoned her. Like he can speak energy, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now, when he actually falls into the cell, I really enjoy the movements that he does in the cell. I can't really explain it. I think I would describe it as Kale having a footloose moment. I think they might have rotoscoped the scene a bit, because it feels like they've drawn over a person that's moving. Especially for the low frame rate that's present throughout the entire film, these movements seem much more fluid and less yes. jank. And I think that's what it was, because when he got into that cell, it's like the movements actually looked really nice and like smooth, and it also portrayed really well this sort of despair that Kale's in. I mean, think about the position he's in now. He's been captured by the dredge with the ring that basically creates his new planet. They just jettisoned his new girlfriend out into space, and he's locked in this prison cell. So him flailing around, trying to punch energy, which is also solid matter, and then him sort of like grabbing his head and doing like his final scream. It was a just, it was a good self-contained scene that wouldn't make you think it's attached to this shit show of a film. <laughs> when that scene actually ends... Kale quickly escapes from the dredge and reunites with his friends. There's honestly not much else to that scene. Yeah, and then out of nowhere, sudden romance with Akima. Yeah, sudden romance with Akima. There's no development. They were in some water together. Yep. Then they were in alien ship. Then she was jettisoned. And once they meet again, apparently there's this whole romance arc that's happened between them. Just go to a foreign alien planet. You know, get captured by aliens, and already your husband and wife. Because that's the way they <laughs> act. They act like they've already been in a relationship for yeah. years already. Once they establish this 
romance between the two characters. They now have a team they're fighting for. Yes. And because they now have their own special team, they need a team to go against. Yeah. And this is where they introduce the villains that aren't the dredge, the surprising twist. Oh my god, can you guess who they are? Who are the villains? Oh my god, I just don't know. We've all... Is it, what? Is it the two people that look like the villains? What? I think it might be... Whoa. It, it's, it's, it's definitely Pred and Corso, because one's actually maimed and put together by slabs of metal, and the other one just <laughs> looks like a villain, so... And we find out they're villains because, I guess, Kel and Akima, in the after-shower moment, yep. somehow uh, overhear a conversation between Corso and the Dredge. Now, you say somehow. I say because Corso's dumb as fuck. Think about it, right? The Dredge are a ominous, vibrant, blue, Big blue yeah. alien <laughs> race. And he leaves his door open that casts a giant blue shadow outside the room and talks really loud. You're not wrong. <laughs> like, Corso, where'd your big brain go, fella? Come on. We find out that Corso has been in cahoots with the Dredge yep. in order to find Titan for them. He can also speak energy as well. Yeah, he can also speak energy. Which means all the scenes up to this point were just a show between Corso and the Dredge. It's almost like the scenes before this were just a showreel of, here's yeah. some locations for a different film. Salvager Island, Hydrogen Tree Land, Blue Disgusting Ship. And then we have the actual film that happens, which is Corso being a traitor. While he is a fairly obvious villain... I would have liked to see him do more in the background. Maybe he was the one who shot the hydrogen bubble to save everyone, but in doing so, oh no, he accidentally overturned the ship partway and knocked Kale and Akima into the water. Into the water, yeah. Maybe a setup where he screws up accidentally and causes Kale and Akima, I guess by extension, because they want her captured for whatever reason, to get captured. And then we can find out it was all part of the plan, and it was all actually just a play. Yes, <laughs> that's right. It would it would have been cool to see if he actually paid off the aliens that attacked Kale in the first place to set up like a you know I'm gonna save Kale and that'll win over his heart a little bit to make him join us instead of just the dredge arrived and now he's got nowhere to go. That's a very good idea, because that doesn't have to introduce any other new changes, except a short scene where we see Corso slyly give them a couple of credits or space money, whatever they're using. Yeah, and after we get the Corso reveal, we get the most jankiest and screen-killing chase scene as Akima and Kale are running to New Bangkok, which is a... Just a just a orb floating in space. Yeah, it's a load of junk put together that seemingly flies. And as Corso and I guess everybody else is trying to chase after them, as this chase scene's going on, I'm pretty sure my screen tried to kill itself. <laughs> like the minute that scene happened, the movements. <laughs> like the characters were floating. I think the screen was actually tearing. I think you could see the bits where they clearly put a frame next to a frame that's supposed to happen a few seconds forward. So characters are just like, Jesus. Boop, boop. 
Yeah, because they're supposed to be moving so quickly in this moment, and the frames were so limited, yeah. it's almost like they've teleported short distances. Because they can't insert the running animation fully. They no. have to pick and choose. And I don't see any um, like motion blur, where the middle oh, frame is literally yes. just a mass to show the fast movement. They haven't done that. Just so that there's something there that can at least connect yeah. A to C. So there's like a little blob in the middle. And your mind and eyes interpret that as fast movement. Yes. I don't think they did that at all. And that's why the movement doesn't seem quick. And why it doesn't just... Why it doesn't seem right. When they first started running, I genuinely thought that the 2D floor that they were running on was just a treadmill. Like, I, I felt like it was one of those in which the scene is moving, but the characters are running on spot. Like, that's exactly oh, the feeling God. I got from that scene. And to be honest, most of the action scenes are like this, but this is like if you timesed it to 100. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of bad, I also didn't really care much for the new Bangkok stuff. It was short, but I honestly think you could have just accomplished the same thing with them just getting into an escape pod or a shuttle that's attached to the ship. The new Bangkok area leads to a really cool montage, and it shows that they're all working together to rebuild the ship. I don't know why the rest of New Bangkok are helping. I guess they're all just cool guys, because humans are humans after all. Maybe yeah. they're in on the plan. But we see this really cool montage of them working together, building Bezos' ship. <laughs> yes. And we get a Star Wars reference here and there. It's really neat. It's just one of those where the new Bangkok stuff, to me, just feels like a happy montage in a film that is clearly just rushing to get to the end. It is, but it's different from everything else we've seen up to this point. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. But they do say they're on limited time and the montage is at the wrong point in time because it would waste a lot of time. Apparently, it's only supposed to take a day or two. <laughs> that, no. no, I don't no agree chance. with that. But after we do get to the new Bangkok stuff and the montage happens and they create their rocket, the next locale is it's in sort of like a weird ice crystal maze, not the shell, in space. <laughs> sort of cat and mouse game between Carso and Kale. And I'm not going to lie, the actual ice structures that they've made for this area might be the best 3D thing in the film. Yeah. Just that scale and that scene of just seeing these two giant, maybe even planet-sized ice crystals, and you get this tiny little ship right in the middle, and then they just crash together and you get like this really nice glass effect yes. as it shatters and it's honestly just a really satisfying scene to watch it definitely looks like something that was simulated yes rather than hand animated like the rest of the film is but if this was hand animated then holy hell is it good Yes. Compared to everything else we've seen. <laughs> Absolutely. And I don't know what it says about the film if, you know, we're saying, oh, the ice crystals are the best looking part of the film. Yeah, yeah. I like the fact that this is an area that Corso doesn't really know how to actually traverse. And he's in a larger ship than Kalo yes. and Akimura. It's one of those where they do the, like, reflective surface on the yeah. ice shards, and it's like, it's over there, it's over there! The Hall of Mirrors, hide and seek. Yes, exactly. But honestly, the Hall of Mirrors, hide and seek, just on a much grander scale, and I think I just, yeah. I really enjoyed it. There are a few moments where I think there's sort of an error. 
Yeah. For example, there's a part where Corso and Goon are talking, and Corso saying, let's follow behind them, but stay silent. Yes. Which would mean you would turn off your your engines and stuff like that, go dark. But then the film shows, not only have they caught up to the very fast-moving bullet rocket they've created, but the engines are still on. Doesn't he also say to, like, attack them at one point as well? I think so. Because he wants to, like, blow them out of space because, like, he's getting too close to the Titan or whatever. (laughs) And it's like, isn't the whole point that you want to at least get to the Titan and, you know, sell off some bits as well or whatever, not just do the dredge thing? I think the dredge pay more, and they're not going to kill him, hopefully. Yeah, that is true. You know, the, the not being killed is certainly a benefit. When they're talking about being reckless, and Goon is currently piloting because Akima's on the other ship, Corso does the unthinkable, and he just he knocks out Goon. He does, he, and Goon's just like, oh, well, you know, I'll take a safer route through the ice field. And Corso's like, no, you won't, you little shit. We will risk all our lives. Yeah, I'll kill you all. We're going after them. It's like, oh, no, sweet pea, no. <laughs> sweet pea. <laughs> But once he does the unthinkable and he hits Goon, yes, Kale does find the Titan, and it is like a massive ship, but it's more like a core. Like, the idea of the Titan once we actually get into the ship and we listen to Kale's dad's final recording, is the idea is to power up this massive core, and it'll basically become the new sort of core of a planet. The Titan itself doesn't become the planet. I believe Titan might function as a moon later like a space base because it still has the entire library of earth's genetic data in it and they need to use that to repopulate the planet with earth creatures much like how an arc might work but i'm glad yeah. they didn't go down the whole arc biblical angle like wally sort of did part way through because it feels more original having it like its own thing and you know for a fact that if they went down the arc route they would have had kale be like Oh, I'm the new Noah, or this is like an ark. They would have definitely thrown in some form of symbolism. Yes. Which, luckily, they didn't. But the entire Titan ending is about as run-of-the-mill as you can get, story-wise. Corso gets double-betrayed by Pred, but Corso absolutely breaks his neck on screen. <laughs> Imagine little five-year-old Timmy watching this film being like, ha space adventure. Well, they've already shown blood up to this point as well. They have. Which is kind of weird because they show killing and maiming. They show violence through blood. They've even shown us side boob, but they won't show the main two characters kissing. No, no, How won't. is that the line they draw in the sand? You can't show characters kissing on screen. I don't even know how this got a PG, but how would that change the PG rating if you had them kiss? Is that really going to do much? Do you really want little Timmy going kissing girls or boys? You don't know. You don't I'd want rather have him doing that than snapping people's necks and shooting them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, valid point. If we're saying that they are going to replicate everything they see in this film, Timmy's going to space and is going to be part of a very bad film. Poor Timmy, his career's already down the toilet before he even grew up. He's going to pull that creepy, weird face that young <laughs> Kale pulled at the start of the film. <laughs> where his eyes don't know where they're going and his mouth is just <laughs> off his head, yeah. But Timmy will stay dry because he's not allowed to get wet. Mum said so. <laughs> That's so fucking stupid. So dumb. But 
they do everything like you would expect in a generic, almost like Disney sci-fi fantasy sort of film. You know, betrayal happens, main character goes, I'm not going to kill you. Betrayer goes, now I'm magically your friend again, because there's no in-between. Yeah, Corso joins the group. Yep, yeah, yeah, that's it. Corso remembered it, and now he likes you. And then there's a possible Corso death that's left undetermined. That's true. We, we don't actually see what happens to Corso, really, at the end, do we? I believe that was intentional. That's... Well, if they were hoping for a sequel for Titan AE, well, that ain't happening. Not so much a sequel, but there is Titan AE prequel. That exists. Oh my god, is there? Yeah, um, I believe it came out as like a series of novels or something. So there, there should be some reading materials for Titan AE. I think it was released around the time the film was, too, as like promotional materials, I guess. Right, okay, yeah. Now, one thing I will give this film is that I do like the fact that they haven't just made the dredge energy beings without any real use, because they can fuel the Titan. Yeah, they can. You've just got to do some science fiction mumbo-jumbo and change the energy frequency transmission of your machine. Make two machines hold hands. And the energy will go through. Oh, hand-holding. Very lewd. Oh, my God. Oh, you know what? It's very close to kissing, hand-holding. It is. Oh, Jesus. Took a risk showing that on screen. <laughs> now, I don't know if the energy beam that the Dredge shoots is directly connected to Mother Dredge, or if it just did some weird thing because what i don't understand right this is what i don't understand so they shoot the energy beam and i get it right the energy beam hits the titan goes through all this bollocks and it fuels the titan up what i don't understand is how all the dredge including the mother dredge died unless she is actually the beam that she shoots which means that the beam is an extension of herself yes oh this is what i think it's very similar yeah the dredge are beings made out of pure energy We've seen that they can harness their powers to create constructs. These constructs must work on the same frequency that the dredge do, otherwise they couldn't control it. Yeah. That includes all of their weaponry, projectiles, power, everything like that. It all goes through the same energy frequency, or it has the same frequency that the dredge are naturally born with, I guess. Yeah. When Kale changes the system to use that frequency as a power source, it would then absorb that energy. But it would make sense that if all the dredge run on the same frequency, the beam is connected to the ship, the mother dredge is standing on the ship. So all of the energy, when you think about it like that, is all linked in a chain. So when it draws the power from the energy beam, it would also draw power from all of the same energy slash frequency that's attached to it, which includes the mother dredge who's standing on the ship and the ship itself. Yeah. So it makes sense that the energy is pulled from there. What doesn't make sense is why the beam climbs up the dredge ship when they could notice what's happening and shut it off, because I guess they're not dum-dums. But I guess dredge are dumb, because they design a cell that can be walked through by yes. biological beings. They made a cell for energy beings in which they are chasing a physical being. And as far as we know, they are the only energy beings yeah. we've come across. Like, the film doesn't tell us there's another race of energy beings. They're no. the only ones that exist. Well, not anymore. Unless there are more of them. I mean, Dredge, since they're pure energy, might appear from nothing. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, they could be created or something. So, once the Titan gets powered by the giant energy beam, 
just like the rest of the film, a really beautiful, well-made scene happens in the film, quickly followed by a disgusting piece of shit. Because when the Titan's powered up, it does this amazing scene, which I loved. I honestly think it's up there with just being one of the best scenes in the entire film. Just because you just get this really nice orb as it's bringing in all the this bits of debris. It's smashing the ice crystals up. It's basically creating the planet. And when you see it, it looks so good. And then you see Kale and Akima stood on the planet and it's like... <laughs> Uh, what is this Veggie Tales garbage? <laughs> like, what is this? Back with the biblical references, I see. Uh, it's like, what is this? Like, they're stood on a mud lump. You see the beautiful hand-drawn planet at the start of the film, Planet Earth. Yep. And I would have hoped they would have reused some of those assets or remade something similar for the end so the planet's just as beautiful, it's home again. But they don't. They make, no. like... A five polygon, one pixel stretch texture that looks like absolute garbage. After showing this amazing shot, once again, most likely simulated with lots of particle physics associated with it, yeah. of the Earth being constructed in this solar system or galaxy forming around it. Like almost like a nice whirlpool pattern as it pulls things It's in. really good. It's really nice. And then we get a horrible 3D CG version of our main two standing on just horrible dirt rock thing just, yeah exactly just it's like hard clay. to describe like clay almost just really really gross brown clay mold that they're stood on that's planet bob that's planet bob what do you expect from a planet named bob but then we get the namesake of the film we've got the titan and then we find out that the new dates the years are measured in after earth years a.e so finally, right by the credit scene, we get Titan AE. We get the full title of the film, that's right. And I don't know, man. When the ending happened, honestly, it's a bit of a roller coaster. <laughs> it's not a good roller coaster, but you know, it's still a journey. It's one of those films where now that I've rewatched it when I'm older, I can clearly tell that it was just either made in a rush or behind the scenes some garbage must have happened. Because the film is a mess, but I still couldn't help by the end of it but enjoy it. And I'm pretty sure it is just the rose-tinted glasses, if I'm honest. Like, I enjoyed it when I was a kid, but I, I fully know for a fact that the 3D, 2D doesn't work, and there is absolutely no way that this could be considered a good film. No. The quality is inconsistent throughout the film. And I don't just mean the animation. No. The music's hit and miss. The voice acting's hit and miss. The plot is hit and miss. The plot has some cool, unique ideas, but it doesn't execute the most basic arcs to develop characters. It fails as many times as it almost succeeds, yes. which is a lot. Yeah, that's true. I can imagine a younger audience watching this and thinking, wow, this is cool. It has my favorite rock metal. <laughs> it has a cool space guy because space is cool. It has 3D animation and everyone knew... Back in the day, as a kid, 3D animation in films was wow. No matter how bad it like, was, like oh my god, it was amazing. So you won't care about the bad plot points. You won't care about the poor voice acting because as a kid, you don't look for that. No, I myself, first time I've seen this film, but I can understand how you, like many others, could be sitting on the nostalgia factor and that feeling you got as a kid watching the film for the first time. 
And I would say, confirm your feelings. Rewatch this as an adult. Yeah, absolutely. If I was to rate this as, like, young me, I would have been exactly like that. I would have just been, it's, you know, colourful, I guess, question mark. <laughs> you know, it's adventurous, there's a plot there, it's got some neat scenes, and there's an edgy boy character, whoa. And, whoa. you know, I probably would have given it like a 7 or an 8 or something, you know? I would have been like, wow, adventure boy! But now, I see it for the flaws that it's got. There's scenes in which I'm like, this is actually going to make me throw up. <laughs> some scenes are real gross. But, I don't know, some of the voice acting kind of hit. There's those beautiful scenes where you just get, like, the nice painted, drawn space stuff in the background and you get the nice scale. And obviously there's the end bit. Some of the action's fine. But now, I would definitely give this a 5 out of 10. Like, it's definitely nowhere near as good as I remember it. And it's not a good film. But I think a little bit of that sort of nostalgia factor still in there that makes me enjoy it. But would I yeah. watch it again? <laughs> Absolutely not. No. <laughs> That's almost my reasoning besides the nostalgia. Yeah. The movie definitely has some areas where it does shine. But overall, did I find it a fulfilling movie watching experience? And the answer's a big fat no. There are so many places in this film where it feels like they didn't know what to do or they cut corners that it impacts the quality of the film as a whole. I agree with you that a five seems to be about okay. But... That is before I think whether or not I would watch this movie again. Yeah. And just like you, I would not. So for me, a five is the maximum possible score. And I would most likely give it a four out of ten. No, absolutely. That is that is a fair score. To be honest, I think the film nowadays still gets around like a six in some cases, five at the lowest. And I do definitely think that most of it is just a nostalgia hype. And if they love the movie because of the nostalgia, let them. Yeah, good on them, to be honest. Yeah. But on that note, Fruit Bowl fans, comes the end of the episode. As always, don't forget to follow us on Spotify and all of the major podcast platforms to catch new episodes every Friday. Or support us directly by going to anchor.fm forward slash Fruitball Weekly. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Fruitball Weekly to keep up to date with Fruitball news, any giveaways we may be doing, or to catch our fan-picked review polls every four weeks. Please send any feedback or any Fruitball episode ideas to us at fruitballweekly at gmail.com and we will catch you next week. See you then. See you then.